this is a, un- a unique moment in, in a decade to, to get involved, uh, to have your say and talk about the story of your community so that um, you can try to set democracy right uh, in this very perilous moment for it. So Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guest. And we're back today with another great conversation and another hot topic across the country, and that is redistricting and gerrymandering. And so we know it's redistricting season. It's happening right now as we're speaking. And so after the, the census from last year, our country is going through the process of applying those changes to our congressional districts. Um, applying those changes in population. There were some surprises there. And so we're, we thought that this topic really deserved a two-part conversation. So today's t- conversation is going to be one part, and we'll have another one coming up later this week. And so, but to get to the issue, we are joined today by Mr. Dan Vicuña, who is the National Redistricting Manager uh, for Common Cause. And so just to give you a little bit of his background, uh, Dan conducts research and provides legal, communications, and coalition support for common cause state organiza- organizations in their campaigns to implement redistricting reform. On the litigation front, he manages common cause and ally amicus briefs for cases seeking to protect citizen-centered redistricting reforms, advance constitutional challenges to partisan gerrymandering, and other redistricting cases. So again, like I say, he's another great guest. And Dan, we thank you for joining us on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Definitely. So as we always like to do this, we kind of, we title each you know segment. We like to try to do it in chunks here. And the first segment is titled kind of why redistricting is important. And to understand why it's important, we have to give context. We have to give the history of why we even do redistricting. What's the point behind it all? And so it hit us, like I said in the beginning, it's always been a kind of a hot button issue, even going as far back as, say, the 1800s, uh, when Congress first required states to draw uh, single member districts and have them do so after every census. This has kind of been an ongoing, evolving issue. However, you know, even back then, there was a rule, uh, there was a rule that was passed where uh, it didn't require equal population districts when they were drawing these things. Uh, that rule would come later, um, but it was later repealed in like uh, in 1911. And then during the 1960s, we got a big ruling from the Supreme Court and we got more more rules around redistricting. Um, so just, you know, in many ways, a lot of people may not be familiar with what the Baker ruling is and what that even means when, it, when you're talking about redistricting. Um, but it does seem like there is an error before pre-Baker and before that ruling and then after. So if you could just kind of give some history and some context to the time periods, you know, before the Baker ruling and after and what they kind of did and how that changed the redistricting process. Yeah. So as you kind of alluded to, uh, you know, the the purpose of redistricting is to ensure that every district of the same type has the same number of people in it. And, you know, so the reason that's important is because, you know, let's say you've got a community of a thousand people, you know, say you're looking at maybe a set of city, city council districts, right? You've got a community of a thousand people, uh, you know, in one decade, they've got uh, one member of the city council representing their interests, fighting for their resources, for their schools, for their communities, hospitals, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, and it's a separate community nearby also has a thousand people and they also have one city council member. So those communities of equal size should have 
uh, an equal ability in the halls of power to have somebody fighting for the resources their communities need to survive. Of course, as we know, as time goes by, an entire decade uh, between uh, counting everybody in the country for the census, you might see a big shift in one of those communities uh, may grow significantly. Let's say you have 3,000 people suddenly in that community, uh, and but still 1,000 in the other community. Well, what needs to happen is that that those that community with three times number of people should have three city council members, so they can have more power to fight for the resources that the you know the significantly more people need compared to the thousand. But if you don't change those districts around, you see an imbalance of power, and the community that's smaller uh, may you know sort of be be able to outgun the other community in terms of getting those important health and safety resources that a community needs to thrive. And from about you know ni- the early 1900s until that 1960s case you mentioned, uh, you, saw, you saw huge shifts in population away from rural areas into urban and suburban areas. And a lot of those shifts were uh, black and brown people. And because the powers that be sitting legislators at the time uh, obviously liked the status quo, the amount of power that those rural, generally whiter communities had, they would just go some decades and say, you know, we're just not going to bother redistricting. This works. Um, so you started to see a huge imbalance, you know, congressional districts in urban and suburban areas that might have, you know, 200,000 people in them uh, were represented by one member of Congress, while you know, while a rural district would have, you know, just 10,000 people in it, also represented by one member of Congress. So you had a huge imbalance, uh, un, you know, an unfair imbalance of power. Uh, so in the 1960s, uh, cases were brought to challenge that, and the Supreme Court did um, did say that states are required; they cannot just go a decade with and ignore census data. They're required to change that up, ensure that districts reflect uh, population changes that that even districts of the same type have to have the same number of people in it, so that those people have a representative fighting for their interests that you know that in a way that's um, consistent with you know the size of that community. So. Uh, that's sort of where we are now. Of course, there are other problems that I'm sure we'll get into in the you know the next section. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, to, to kind of give it more context, because I guess you know, in that we talked about kind of you know why it's important, um, um, or rather why it's important for us to do redistricting. We can kind of talk about some of the ramifications right now, um, because on your website, you you uh, Common Calls talks about how democracy should work for the people. Uh, and not letting politicians pick their voters. Um, but that's kind of what we're seeing a lot of right now in a lot of state legislatures, the politicians drawing up the lines to pick their voters. Um, but this is obviously a huge misstep for democracy because that's not working for the people. So whenever we're talking about giving this some context to what this actually looks like, you know, Dan, um, how does, you know, politicians picking their voters um, actually lead to maybe going against the will of the people rather than, you know, actually listening to the people. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we just got into why redistricting is good. It's necessary to ensure, you know, equal rights across, you know, in terms of representation. But unfortunately, um, in most jurisdictions, the process of drawing districts is controlled by elected officials themselves. So there's an obvious uh, conflict of interest in that process where, you know, the, as the, the line that we use in our good government community, you know, you don't, you have, yeah, yeah, politicians choosing their voters instead of voters choosing their politicians. It's really democracy turned on its head. And 
as and in most recent cycles, this cycle and, and sort of the previous cycle of redistricting, you're seeing a, a very sophisticated use of technology of data, both voting data. I mean, I think in some ways, kind of consumer data. Um, all you know, sort of all things about that that sort of describe how people act and how they're likely to vote. Uh, which is allowing these elected officials to draw districts in which the partisan outcome of those districts are really preordained for the entire decade, um, in which elections, you know, in many cases become just kind of a sh- kind of a show for uh, because you know whether a Democrat or Republican can win that seat is mostly preordained. So we are uh, big supporters uh, around the country of alternative processes in which you have different bodies to take that power away from elected officials, make the drawing of districts about keeping communities together, ensuring that communities have representation. Um, and um, so, yeah, that's what, that's what we're, we fight for at, at the moment we're we've been a lot really focused on the, you know, transparent mapping process itself, but, um, but changing the way that's done is, is a huge part of what we do. You know, Dan, one of the things I just wanted to make a quick comment on, because uh, you said about it, how people just kind of assume that these are kind of preordained you know, things. I, I feel like that's why in America we have uh, a hard time with voter turnout. You know, we have a, a hard time with civic engagement because we just did an episode on civic engagement. And I just feel like, you know, whenever you talk about people just feeling like the political maps are just already going to go Democrat or already going to go Republican or however it's going to be. Why Why should I even bother going to vote or why should I bother even going to do something? So I, I'm really glad you pointed to that to kind of give even more context to why this conversation matters. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's why we're trying to make sure that you got people understand this as an underlying problem that, you know, certainly you know, what drives a lot of people in their voting uh, you know, it is a whole host of things, including partisanship and, you know, redistricting can be a, a, a real partisan catfight. But um, I think to, to start to raise public awareness about, uh, you know, elect officials who are manipulating the very democracy through gerrymandering and to try, you know, talk about uh, the importance of holding those elected officials accountable to the extent that's possible, even under gerrymandered map is you know, a message we're, we're trying to bring to the people for sure. Yeah, I mean, that, that message needs to be heard. And one of the questions I had just hearing you, you know, talk about who's in charge of the process, which is the politicians who benefit from these maps. It was just, you know, it's just like, how did we get here to where the people who make the maps, you know, are, are have the incentive, you know, to make it to where they benefit from it. How, like, has it always been where the politicians were the ones who created, you know, the redistricting maps and they were always in charge? Or is this something, you know, that may have come say after the 1960s or the rise of technology has really helped empower them to be able to control the process more than they would, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, you know, having elected officials in charge of doing it themselves is sort of the, uh, it comes from the very beginning of the Republic. And I think, but, you know, early on in the history of the country, you would see sometimes the dummy mander, right. Where, where, because there was a lack of sophisticated data to really determine easily, you know, how, whether a district would go left or right for the entire decade, uh, legislators would screw up. They would they would think that they were manipulating districts in one way or the other, ensuring a strong majority for their party. But then they would get it wrong because it wasn't, you know, they were sort of, you know, they're on the ground with you know paper maps and <laughs> taking their best guesses. 
but what's what's evolved is that that just increased use of data to make that a more sort of devilishly sophisticated process um you know this is a reason why you know but the, you know that we've pushed back and successfully in an increasing number of states to create um, different approaches you know independent citizen registering commissions for example is sort of what we see as the gold standard for this where you mm. take that power out of the hands of elected officials give it to a body that's got an equal number of Democrats and Republicans. It also has um, either some, you know, around the same number of independents or third party folks, um, you know, ensure that there's robust conflict of interest restrictions, you know, to keep off people who are political hacks, you know, sort of recent candidates, current elected officials, people who uh, have been involved in party politics, you know, so you're obviously going to have People who have political opinions, right? They're Democrats, Republicans who are involved in the process, but they don't have a personal stake in how those districts end up being drawn. So um, that's certainly one approach that we've pushed around the country that you've seen uh, adopted in a lot of places. Absolutely. And we're going to our second part, we're actually going to be interviewing a commissioner from uh, independent um, commission out of New York. So, yeah, we're we wanted to kind of highlight that. So what we're going to do, Dan and listeners, we're going to take our first break. And when we come back, we're going to get into our second segment that really just dives off into a little bit further uh, how gerrymandering actually damages our democracy. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into our second segment here. Remember, we're joined today by Dan Vicuña. He's the National Redistricting Manager for Common Cause. Uh, Dan, within this second segment, again, like I said, in you know before the break, talking about you know how it harms our democracy. Whenever I think of gerrymandering, one of the first things my mind goes to is the GOP or for people who aren't as political savvy, you know, the Republican Party. And that's definitely a bias. And I admit that that's a false bias because one of the articles I read recently talks about how Democrats in Illinois are participating in gerrymandering to strengthen their blue wave. And it's kind of interesting when you when you think about it, because you may have some people who say, well, Democrats can do this because they're pushing a more inclusive, equitable agenda versus what Republicans are doing. But obviously, gerrymandering, you know, we can't really endorse this. So my question to you, Dan, is how do we put forth the fairness in drawing these lines when, you know, sometimes political parties and even citizens themselves are more concerned about the party rather than pushing for equality? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that there's certainly... You know, at the kind of level of elected official and, you know, kind of partisan activists, you know, that's really, you know, that's the main driver, right, in participating in redistricting to get partisan advantage. But, you know, what we found, you know, we have about 25 state organizations who their their main focus in this year of redistricting, right, is like I kind of alluded to, right, I think this isn't generally the year where we're able to change the way the system works. What our focus is, is to get people to think about, you know, what are their communities, to draw community maps, to to practice giving testimony about you know, what are the the important landmarks in their community, the things they care about, their park spaces, uh, their schools, um, you know, all, all sorts of issues that really unify a kind of a you know a small micro community that you know we want to make sure that they those communities are kept together, and and how do they tell that story to decision makers? So I think you know that's been the main the big focus of our organizing 
around the country right now. We, you know, we have Charge Hub, um, Coalition Hub for uh, redistricting, and it, it involves, we're one of nine organizations uh, that have kind of a national and state presence representing good government groups, communities of color, um, and really doing these trainings to tell people kind of how to tell the story of their communities, to empower them um, with kind of a comfort level about how to approach these decision-making institutions in a way that's effective. So I think, you know, trying to move away from sort of what is a popular media narrative about just, you know, a partisan catfight and make this about what it should be, which is representation for our communities. Exactly. And one of the interesting things in talking about, you know, Jay, Mandy, we're talking about, you know, the political incentives is, you know, when they make the maps right now, at least it has become, we want to, you know, instill a political advantage for the next decade. And so um, one of the things you kind of think about is like the two party political system has come under a lot of criticism lately. And, you know, just in kind of doing a little bit of research about it, one of the things that people were saying could be part of the problem is the fact that it is a two two party political system. It's just two tribes going against each other, trying to stay in power and ensure that they, you know, their existence in the political system. And so I guess the question is, what role do you think the, the two party political system is having when it comes to making gerrymandering uh, worse? Um, and do you believe that redistricting and redistricting would be more fair if there was say, a viable third party or fourth party that was at the table that had to be considered during this process where it doesn't have to be just two, you know, two extremes trying to battle it out. Whereas if you had say three or four parties who were involved in it, there may be, you know, it may be easier to draw a fair map. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, there isn't, you know, one kind of troubling way in which I think gerrymandering and sort of the political divide between the parties kind of interact with each other is that, you know, like I mentioned, the way these districts are drawn, the goal is to ensure that basically one party has a lock on any one district, right? And the majority party ensures that they can win, you know, a certain number of districts, and then they pack as many of the minority party voters into just, you know, one or two districts to give them those as a throwaway, and but ensure that they keep a big majority in the rest of them. And what you see in that case is that since the partisanship of a district is almost predetermined for a decade, the fight stops being about what's going on in the general election, the fight becomes what's going on in a primary election. And, you know, there, so there's no incentive for an elected official to try to reach out to the other side, have a reasonable dialogue, try to try to empathize with the other side's voters in any way, because there's no, there's no real political payoff there. The political payoff comes from being an extremist. And I think you, you know, you've seen um, intransigence against any action on climate change, racial justice, attacks on transgendered people, um, in place in states in particular where there's gerrymandered districts in which, um, you know, the majority parties, elect officials just need to be extreme to ensure they survive a primary because the general <laughs> it's set. Um, so, you know, what, how, how that dynamic changes with a third or fourth parties, I'm not entirely sure, but I do know that the gerrymandering does, I think, perpetuate a kind of that, that entrenchment of both sides and an unwillingness to even kind of see each other as, as viable human uh, humans and viable partners in democracy. Yeah, I think it's an interesting, you know, point of view. I mean, obviously nobody knows because we don't have a strong third party uh, just yet. Maybe it's coming. Andrew Yang just announced his party, but 
Um, it's just an interesting way of thinking, you know, maybe if there were more people at the table, you know, maybe there would be some more fairness with it. But maybe, you know, we'll see, you know, maybe in the coming years we'll have a viable third party. We can kind of play this out, you know, in the real world. So uh, but we'll go ahead and take our next break. And when we come back, we'll get into our third segment, which is we kind of try to look forward with it, you know, try to see, ask some questions about trying to get the public you know, involved to take notice and, you know, of what's happening with redistricting and, and just election laws in general. And so we'll cover that in our next segment. So listeners, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back here. Let's get into our third segment. Remember, we're joined today by Dan Vicuña, National Redistricting Manager for Common Cause. Um, Dan, one of the things that I was doing a little bit of research on was some of the legislation that's going on right now around you know redistricting. And, and one of those uh, bills is the, the Freedom to Vote Act. I'm trying to really get that push over the finish line. Uh, looking hard because obviously that 60 vote threshold in the Senate puts a lot of doubts on seems like everything right now. Um, and obviously Republicans and Democrats are kind of on opposite ends on the state of our democracy and the need to protect it. But, Dan, we've got, you know, Protect Our Democracy Act. We've got the For the People Act. We've got the John Lewis VR Act. And now we've got the Freedom to Vote Act. So we just wanted to kind of make sure, I guess, to kind of for those naysayers who may not feel that our democracy is under attack. You know, why do we need the Freedom to Vote Act to protect us from gerrymandering? Yeah, the Freedom to Vote Act would be uh, just a revolutionary change in how districting is done in the country. I mean, it. So a couple of years ago, <laughs> Common Cause and our redistricting staff in particular went through a fairly painful experience of going to the U.S. Supreme Court and hitting a brick wall. We we took a case called Rucho v. Common Cause, a challenge uh, to partisan gerrymandering. We were asking the Supreme Court to say uh, that partisan gerrymandering is what to us is a no-brainer, a violation of the U.S. Constitution. Um, we think it was offensive to equal protection, offensive to the First Amendment. Uh, but the Supreme Court disagreed. They said no. There, you know, despite the fact that that other that state courts, that tr- federal trial courts, found a way to identify partisan gerrymanders and strike them down, the Supreme Court said, "Eh, we can't do it on a five to four vote." I should add, a very a tight vote. So they've walked away essentially from trying to do anything about partisan gerrymandering. So what the Freedom to Vote Act would do, um, now that I'm done with my my therapeutic uh, session there, uh, with the, the way the legislation would come in. Is to to do what Supreme Court wouldn't, which to which to create federal law that prohibited partisan gerrymandering, and not only that, to create a, a, a set of standards for congressional districting nationwide uh, that would be nonpartisan, driven by uh, you know, adherence to the Voting Rights Act, um, keeping communities of interest together. Um, there's some in, under current federal law. There's some. It's a bit difficult to require redistricting making bodies to draw districts for communities of color. Like they, you know, they have to make up a majority of an area um, under the freedom to vote act that would be reduced, allow community, different communities of color uh, to that may vote similarly and vote in coalition to tell redistricting decision makers that they have to draw a district to give uh, those communities a chance to elect the candidates of their choice. 
Um, it creates a, a quicker system for suing on bad maps, striking them down and getting replacements. Um, it would just make a huge difference. Um, so yeah, we're, we're pushing for it. You know, we know we, we all kind of know the challenges involved with um, certain kind of intransigent senators uh, holding dear, um, you know, r- uh, ridiculous traditions like the filibuster, but you know, <laughs> we, we fight nonetheless. You know, I was not to cut you off, Devin, cause I know you're going to say something, but while you were having your therapy, I was kind of having my little therapy as well. And I know what senators you're probably talking about too. I think everybody probably knows. So that's, something. I'm glad. <laughs> I like that. Um, what are, you know, so our next question is kind of as we're talking about the, you know, the public and, and voters and, and making sure that we educate them on the redistricting process and why it's so important. Uh, one of the kind of effects of gerrymandering is that it can discourage, you know, people, uh, black people, Latinos, uh, Asians, other minorities, it can discourage them from running because if you are in a gerrymandered district, I mean, just the numbers, if you look at the numbers, it tells you you don't have a great chance depending on how badly you gerrymander your district is. And so just kind of talk to that side of when you talk about gerrymandering and redistricting, what work needs to be done um, when it comes to making it easier or you could say easier for black candidates, for Latinos and other minorities to get to actually think about running and actually have a viable chance of not only running, but winning some of these races in state and local uh, districts. Yeah, I think, you know, th- that it certainly brings in redistricting, um, you know, to create more districts in which, um, you know, there's kind of an equal opportunity for different communities to have a say, uh, for members of kind of either party to have the major party to have a say. Um, you know, I think you also bring in when you talk about access to being candidates for people of color, I think there are uh, definitely campaign finance roles. I don't want to get outside too outside of my expertise, area of expertise, but I mean, there's certainly a way, you know, common causes pushing around the country, kind of public funding of elections so that, you know, it's, you don't have only communities, uh, white communities that may, that we know tend to be wealthier where, you know, individuals, there's a huge wealth gap between America, white Americans and communities and people of color, um, so that's often a barrier. There are people who can find the time and find the resources um, to take breaks from work to self-fund their candidacies. Um, and so I think, you know, the way we finance elections is is also um, problematic, but certainly to create fair maps, it you know, and especially maps that aren't designed to favor an incumbent, because sometimes we're talking about gerrymandering that may happen at the primary level. You know, we've seen, mm-hmm. uh, we've certainly seen examples where uh, maps are drawn to protect um, white Democratic incumbents, if Democrats are in charge, uh, to prevent uh, a viable um, Latino, uh, Black, Asian American challenger by kind of keeping those communities out of a district that uh, has been deemed that white incumbent district. So, uh, yeah, democracy issues and these structural democracy issues play a huge role in determining who has access to actually even run for office. You're right, Dana, and you didn't really get too far out of the expertise because I'm glad that y'all are pushing for those issues because um, we, we, we talk a lot about how, you know, the, the problems we have are, are not just you have to fix this one policy and they go away. There's a lot of different layers and, you know, the way we fund our campaigns 
makes uh, a huge deal. Before we end this third segment here, Dan, we just wanted to make sure we uh, give you an opportunity to highlight. We've kind of hit around your organization, Common Calls, but we know that y'all are on the front lines in states working across the country to stop gerrymandering and promote equitable redistricting, not you know in favor of any, any party. Um, so we just wanted to talk uh, or rather give you an opportunity to kind of uh, highlight some of the programs or initiatives that Common Calls is doing to help organizations on the state level um, educate the citizens and realize that our democracy is under attack. Yeah, I appreciate it. So I, I would invite uh, anybody who's interested in kind of learning more, figuring out how you can get involved. Um, I send out a weekly newsletter, uh, which which highlights all of the grassroots initiatives that um, are partnered, that common cause organizations, that our partners in the state um, are running to ensure that there's a testimony that people are showing up to tell their stories in the registering process. That's at um, commoncause.org slash gazette. I send out the gerrymander gazette. Um, we are working with partners again to, to get people to get people out there to make sure that elected officials, um, in some cases, citizen commissions, uh, you know, who I think are maybe more open to hearing from public testimony, are, are hearing the stories of the public because if they are not being told in a very discreet way and being in some cases giving giving maps to say this is where our community is, um, they simply won't know. Um, you know, census data can only tell so much of a story, but, um, you know, what we've learned from legislators who's tr- who are trying to do this right way from citizen commissioners, um, they'll say, uh, uh somebody coming in our, our road shows, or we go hear from the public about what a, a sort of very discreet language community is or religious community or a community that cares about environmental justice because of pollution from a local plant. Like we, you know, census data just doesn't tell us about those communities. So hearing those stories uh, is central. So I, I would invite you to check out, uh, again, kind of sign up for the that newsletter, um, comicause.org slash gazette, um, and I'll keep you informed about what's going on, how you can get involved locally. Thank you, Dan, for uh, making sure to highlight that. Um, we, we really appreciate that. We know that different nonprofits are working on the front lines to better our society. So we appreciate y'all's work. Um, we're going to take our last break, Dan and listeners. When we come back, we got to get Dan's final message. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, IG and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, let's go ahead and wrap up our episode here. Remember to, well, I guess not wrap it up because we still got to do our ending, but wrap up our portion with Dan. Uh, we've been joined with Dan Vicuña, National Districting Manager for Common Calls. Uh, Dan, been a really, really awesome conversation and kind of to wrap this up and set the stage uh, for your final message. We've talked about the fact that redistricting is really to help the government better reflect the people. Um, you know, over time, you know, there's different population changes, different needs, uh, you know, change. But rather than our politicians kind of learning and adapting and then just responding to their those needs, those same politicians choose to draw up lines to keep them in office rather than just having the, you know, the resume that'll do that. 
But Dan, you know, the American people really need action right now. And that starts with our election, you know, starts with our leaders, you know, the people in office. So, you know, for your final message, Dan, just just leave our listeners and those, you know, who, you know, kind of chime in and listen to us. Remind people why they should stay uh, rather remind people what they should be saying to politicians to keep them focused on those problems rather than focusing on district maps. Yeah, well, thanks again for the opportunity to be here. Um you know, this is our once in a decade opportunity to shape representation for the entire decade. Um, we Common Cause has been doing this work for a long time. And we've seen uh, really specific examples of communities that were divided uh, into several districts and did not have a champion in the halls of power to get them the resources they needed. And we've seen that change when people stood up, you know, told the story of their communities and shamed politicians into doing the right thing. And they were given an opportunity to then have that advocate by being keep together, kept together in a district. And, um, you know, once this opportunity passes, we you know, will certainly be involved in the fight through challenging maps in the court. Um, but um, this is a, un- a unique moment in, in a decade to, to get involved, uh, to have your say and talk about the story of your community so that um, you can try to set democracy right uh, in this very perilous moment for it. So, uh, you know, like I said, please do get involved. Check us out at commoncause.org. Uh, you know, do that backslash gazette again to sign up for that newsletter uh, to learn about what you can do locally. Because I know these problems can seem uh, very large, um, you know, when you're approaching them from just reading about them online or in the news. Um, but as it turns out, uh, they're organizing locally does matter. Uh, we've seen it happen time and time again. So we definitely welcome you to join join our movement. Absolutely. And, and listen, it's one thing you're going to hear from all of these episodes that we're doing, whether it's civic engagement, redistricting, gerrymandering, anything like that is get involved. That is going to be the common thread through all of this. That's the common cause. <laughs> Not to put the pun in there, but I like it. I'm, um, I'm here for it. <laughs> But yes, no, but Dan, I, I appreciate you coming on and, and explaining to us a subject that can be kind of, you know, a little boring. It's not the sexiest thing talking about redistricting and gerrymandering. Look, we we had to cover taxation reform, you know, a few weeks ago and we, we did our best. Right. Yeah. But I appreciate you doing the work, you know, trying to, you know, change the rules to be more in favor of, you know, uh, voters getting what they actually deserve and being able to choose their politicians and not the other way around. And while you may not necessarily care about redistricting, it affects you every day. And it's going to affect you for the next 10 years if you don't make your voice heard now or even get together on a local level and say, hey, let's create our own maps. Let's do it ourselves and try to get involved that way. You can do that. You can create your own map. So get involved, folks. That's that's the message. And I appreciate you, Dan, for bringing for bringing that perspective on the show. Yeah, I mean, it underlies all the other issues you care about. So, uh, yeah, do get involved. Yeah. And Dan, I just wanted to say thanks as well. And, you know, I guess just to kind of help our listeners make this topic a little bit more uh, sexy and appealing, uh, Dan said something that should make it, you know, one of the most important things. It only happens, you know, every decade, you know, it's not like something that happens, you know, every two years, every four years, it only happens every decade. Um, so it's really, really, really important that you participate in what's going on. Like Dan said, you go do those testimonies because, you know, 10 years might, you know, a decade might sound short, but that's 10 years. That's, it's a lot of time and a lot of power if we don't, you know, have our say in. So, uh, listeners, I hope that helps to make it a little sexier for you. Um, so that, 
you know, you start paying attention to it. Uh, Dan, before we let you go, what's the uh, social media handles for Common Call so our listener will be able to, you know, kind of follow you? Yeah, so you will find uh, Common Cause as Common Cause on Twitter, uh, Common Cause on Facebook as well. You know, website is commoncause.org. You want to follow me for uh, running somewhat occasionally snarky commentary on redistricting. It's <laughs> it's at Dan Vicuna, D-A-N-V-I-C-U-N-A. Um, yeah, and sign up for that newsletter too. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, listeners, remember we've had Dan Vicuna, National Redistricting Manager for Common Calls on the show today. Thank you, Dan. Um, listeners, we're going to take one more break. Devin and I, we're just going to come back and do our listeners going to say bye to Dan, but stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to end the show with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. So our next episode is going to come out on Thursday, October 28th. That's a special conversation with uh, Commissioner uh, Miss Elaine Fraser, and she is on the New York State Independent Redistricting Commission. And so we're going to talk to her about why it's important to be engaged with the redistricting process and what actually goes into it. She is great. We talked to her before the show just to get a feel for her and to make sure she wanted to come on. She is going to be great. So make sure you tune in for that. You get two great episodes that week about redistricting and gerrymandering. That's coming out Tuesday, October 26th. And then we're talking again about uh, how the redistricting process works and how you can get involved with it. That's coming out on Thursday, October 28th. And then to wrap it all up, to end the week, we're right back here on Saturday, October 30th, the day before Halloween, right back here, weekly roundup number 20 of the season. This is our 20th weekly roundup of the season. Make sure you tune in for that one. Again, we'll have more news, funny quick hits, and you'll have a good time listening to me and Adrian bring you the news uh, next Saturday, October 30th. And so before we go, we also like to let you know you can not only help us out by listening to the show, which we love it, but you can also download or you can also donate to us. And Adrian is going to let you know how you can do that. Donations, 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 donations. I can keep saying that every day, all day, because we need that. You know, Dev and I, we had a, a conversation about what we want to do with the Black Agenda. And, you know, if you've ever gone to the GRIO or, or gone to NPR or watch CNN, that's what we want to do. We want to be able to have some sort of uh you know, organization where we could have a very black centric, you know, news outlet, media outlet, you know, lobbying outlet so that we can really, you know, uh, uh, perpetrate these ideas that we have um, in the black community. And we can't do that without money, um, <laughs> you know, from from hiring people to having all these different moving pieces. We got to have you. you know, uh, like we always say, when you like, share and follow us, that's great because it helps us get more awareness. But when you donate, that really helps us to actually build our mission and expand what we're doing. So make sure you go to our website. It's just blackagendapod.com. 
and click the donate tab. If you're listening to us in the Podbean app, there's a donate tab right there for you. You can click on. When you donate, you actually become a monthly patron and you get things from us. You can get shout outs. You can get thank yous. Um, you can even be on the show. We'd love to have you become a monthly patron. Again, go to our website, blackagendapod.com and make sure you start giving. Um, the other thing, our charity of the month, um, you know, we've been trying to do interviews with our charity of the month organizations, but we haven't been very successful with that. So we hope to be able to change that for you in the future. But to let you know, uh, Race Ford, they are an organization that catalyzes movements building racial justice. They partner with communities, organizations, and sectors to build strategies to advance racial justice in policies, institutions, and culture. Race 4 imagines a just, multiracial, democratic society free from oppression and exploitation in which people of color thrive with power and purpose. So go check them out. Again, that is Race Forward. But before you donate, make sure you donate to us. Um, Not to say that they're not a good organization that does not deserve your funding, but um, being lower on the food chain, we need a little bit more. (laughs) Absolutely. Make sure you help them and us out. We would both appreciate it. And before you go, we'd like to let you know you can't follow us on social media. You should already be doing that. But if you aren't, if you're a new listener, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Black Agenda Pod is our handle. And again, that's at Black Agenda Pod. You can also find us on YouTube. Just search the Black Agenda Podcast and you'll find a great catalog of interviews and conversations with all sorts of experts people from around the country, you name the topic, we've probably covered it. If we haven't, you need to let us know. (laughs) So make sure you find us on YouTube. Uh, Just search the Black Agenda Podcast. So until then, we'll catch you next time. 